are we allowed to mention the Welshman yet? I, th- I think I think we are. A bit under the cover of parliamentary privilege. So uh, apparently an MP said that Ryan Giggs had got an injunction out banning newspapers from talking about the Welsh bird he's been banging for months. Apparently. Well, now, I, the only bit of that that I disagree is this bit that he's been banging her for months, to use your parlance. No, apparently that's not the case. I don't know if you read the decision by Justice Edie, or I don't know if it was a decision or a commentary following the release of the name. I only got about halfway through it because it's very long and I was suddenly thought I really do have better things to do with my time than read this. Um, but, you know, he was saying that one of the reasons that the injunction was granted in the first place is because there's a significant dispute between um, the claimant's version of affairs, that's uh, Ryan, and the, uh, the the people who the injunction is against. Uh, yes, no, no, absolutely. And, and he also alleges in that, in that uh, you know, evidence that he presented that she asked for a hundred thousand pounds in order to for hush money basically so yeah and and i don't know why so look since we're on it let's let's talk about this because i have to say i i, f- I find i find the whole coverage under the cover of something about freedom of speech or parliamentary privilege actually is really just about titillation it's 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 you know the excitement of you know the gossip of who's you know who was shagging who whom whom who was shagging whom and no need to let standards slip <laughs> yes well you know you might tell that to Giggsy, and uh, you know, which is which is another point of mine. So you know, one, uh, the media coverage is salacious and nothing else. Uh, two, if if Giggsy did you know have a little dalliance, uh, did he not have more brains than to go after someone who's clearly publicity seeking? You know, she was on Big Brother, the, the you know the publicity seekers magnet in chief, uh, and, and so I was a bit disappointed about that. And not not that I you know I would ever be disappointed about footballers' behaviour because they're uh, as we've spoken out many many time especially with the whole Wayne Rooney thing they are largely speaking young men with lots of money and, and lots of temptations and uh, although Giggsy is no longer a young man anymore so I, I found the whole episode pretty distasteful and mainly around the media coverage I have to say yeah I mean inf- I, I'm not a big fan of marital infidelity as a lifestyle choice I think generally speaking it's a destructive and dangerous thing to do with your time but until you've walked a mile in a person's shoes even if those shoes are John Terry's you don't really have any right to judge um what somebody does with their personal life you can you can say okay well that was that would be the type of thing i would personally strive not to do and for example would try and teach my kids that that was not particularly the way to behave or whatever but ultimately until you've been in the position where you are faced with those kinds of temptations it's very difficult to know where you would draw your own personal lines i think and i think a lot of people are suckered into the belief that it would be easy for them to turn down those kinds of temptations in those situations uh, so that stuff that stuff aside I, I couldn't agree with you more about the media coverage the the disgrace of making some kind of argument for freedom of speech in this particular case as opposed to I mean we, we talked about this briefly on the phone in the week but you know Andy Colston uh, used to be the editor of the News of the World and he's now I'm not sure the exact job title but it's essentially he is to David Cameron as Alistair Campbell was to Tony Blair in the early days he's a senior policy advisor and, and a, a a mega spin doctor type person if I'm not mistaken and he was in charge of the news of the world when they were tapping the phones of celebrities a gross invasion of privacy and freedom of, of 
freedom from that kind of intrusion. So this it's not an argument about right and wrong from the press's perspective. It's about the fact that you put Ryan Giggs has sex with Big Brother Starlet on the cover of a tabloid newspaper and you will definitely get a massive sales boost. So, so, so I mean, Andy Carlson, uh, just, just to be clear, was replaced in his formal role with the Conservative Party, but, you know, he does, he does as I understand it, have a, a role in the strategy uh, there. But, but absolutely right. I mean, you know, th- this is a, a claim filed by the Sun with Imogen Thomas. Why, why was Imogen Thomas wanting to file with the Sun? Because they're prepared to pay her. And th- they filed the claim hilariously under Article 10 of the Human Rights Act uh, about freedom of speech. And, and this is a newspaper that has banged on for years about the damaging effect of the Human Rights Act. And, and I'm saying damaging in, in their words, and I'm paraphrasing clearly. So, so all of it stinks massively. Uh, all of it. You know, what, whatever Giggs might have or might not have done. Uh, clearly he disputes it. Uh, you know, just simply the fact that, that the people involved and the, the you know, so-called debate in Parliament, and not to mention John Hemmings, who, of course, you know, used parliamentary privilege and hid behind parliamentary privilege to break this in some kind of guise of freedom of speech when he's uh, had his own indiscretions in the past, well-publicised ones. Yeah, well. I mean, I, I, I nearly tweeted about that, and I, I sort of made a conscious effort, a, a conscious decision not to publish links, put links to old Birmingham Post stories, because I, I live in Birmingham and he's a local MP, and he was the leader of the Lib Dem group in Birmingham City Council for a very, very long time, and Private Eye used to make fun of him all the time. He, he has a, a, an extremely checkered personal life uh, history and political history and indeed some pretty questionable financial dealings with the Liberal Democrat Party in Birmingham but whatever that's you know I think that's somewhat by the by in, in this argument and and I actually am not completely without sympathy for the view that the way this case was progressing and the discussion of uh, some potential litigation against people sharing this information on Twitter I'm not completely without sympathy for the argument of saying it has got to the point where it's ridiculous that this is protected by protected by an injunction and there are people basically uh, falling foul of the law on a mass scale in a way that's somewhat ridiculous but I, I don't really understand I, I don't really think that there was any danger of 75,000 Twitter users being sued no there was no danger at all I mean they might have gone after a, a few specific people who were using the medium to break the news of who supposedly had inside information to break the news of what was the, the contents of the contents both of Giggs's filings and of the injunction and so on and and uh, there's no chance they would have been suing you know thousands of people at, at all not least it'd be tied up in the courts for years uh, but but there's a there is a wider point on on you know people's right to privacy and the fact that you have to use the courts these days is 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 just more well one it makes it an elitist system where only certain people are allowed privacy you know you can have your own views on that one and and two of course you know the court system and parliament and the legislature is not up to date with modern technology at all doesn't mean you have to throw it out i mean i don't think that's actually i mean that's what some people have debate i mean that's the argument of course that the sun made that that technology has superseded this it's all out there anyway so they should be allowed to publish it anyway and and of course there's all there's been this long-running deliberate misrepresentation of what public interest means i mean uh, it's hilarious uh, and you would have to be really stupid to be duped by it but the sun basically argues that public interest means means the public are interested in it and you know if you believe that then then i suppose you'll believe anything really a lot of people do subscribe to 
that line of thinking and it's nonsense it's it's obviously complete nonsense i kind of feel like i almost want to replace ryan giggs with ashley cole when i'm talking about this because i obviously have massive red tinted spectacles and a huge degree of love for ryan giggs which i want to almost take out of this equation and say imagine if it was ashley cole in this situation who's kind of notoriously not particularly pleasant individual and although i don't know him and that that may be unfair um and also place for Chelsea and so is thus a baddie in in our eyes from from our red red tinted spectacles perspective because this isn't this has got nothing to do with the fact that it's Ryan Giggs this is to do with the fact that society is really really broken I I was I was driving in the work car and I, I switched the radio on not realizing it was about 12 o'clock and the work, works car radio was tuned to Jeremy Vine's call-in show on Radio 2 and they were talking about the gigs thing and two calls in I absolutely had to turn the radio off because it was such offensive nonsense being talked. Oh, he deserves everything it's got coming to him if he's done that, you know, it's like oh, whatever you know, and and the, the fact that the, pre- the prevailing wind of popular opinion is definitely blowing in the direction that what's happened is he's gone to the courts to try and cover up an affair which is only part of the truth. He's He's gone to the courts to try and protect himself from a really insidious situation. I mean, in that Justice Eady thing, she was basically... He was basically entrapped into having photos of him and her taken meeting long after the affair had finished by her and the son. You know, I guess that's alleged at this point, but whatever it is, the whole thing's really ugly. And I just hope that Giggs is kind of solid enough to to deal with all the nonsense going on. Yes, I'm sure he is. He, I think he's a very level-headed and very determined bloke. So, uh, and you wouldn't, he wouldn't have been at the top for this long if he wasn't. And of course, he'll have the protection of of United, and of course, that hilarious situation this week where Ferguson was caught on mic banning an AP reporter for asking about gigs I mean actually I had some sympathy with the reporter there because he does kind of have to ask the question the problem was he was not bright enough to ask the question the right way I mean he asked it in a way that was deliberately going to make Ferguson angry and he must have known it and he probably knew exactly what the consequences would be and he was probably hoping to get an angry reaction I mean what would have been the fair question would have been is gigs in the right frame of mind to perform uh, in the Champions League final because that's about the player and whether he's performing and it's a perf- that would have been a perfectly valid question because it's one all fans will ask too I mean given all the media coverage given that he's, uh, he's at least his representatives have been in court we don't know what's happening with his family situation might be the problem might not be and, and so he might not be in the right frame of mind it's one of those things that you know everyone even as fans would ask And but of course the, uh, the reporter said is gigs important which was a, a very stupid question to ask <laughs> Is Ryan Giggs important? Is water important to the human well-being? Is Ryan Giggs important? Of course he is. Ferguson displaying a really, really profound lack of technical understanding in that moment. It's just a beautiful shot of him whispering and the kind of PR lady next to him trying to say, should we talk about it afterwards? And he's going, no, 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 tell me right now because I'm going to whisper about banning in front of all these microphones. If I talk quietly, those microphones won't be able to hear me unless it's a classic Fergie and he, he actually wanted to be heard to distract attention from the Ryan Giggs story by making people write stories about what he said. 
head instead. Wouldn't put him past him. You wouldn't, yeah, though it, d- it didn't seem like it, but yeah, you, you certainly wouldn't put him past him. Anyway, God, we've uh, we've banged on about that for a while, haven't we? So. We certainly have, but you know, it's, it's weirdly important in terms of how our society handles these things. Talking of... But there was was something quite good happened this week, right? There, there were, th- th- that's the last we're going to talk about bad things. The whole rest of this show is a massive, massive celebration, much like the game against Blackpool was. I am very sad for poor old Ian Holloway and Jeff Shreves' post-match interview with Ian Holloway is one of the worst things I've ever seen on television. You've been a brush of fresh air, Ian. Get out of my way before I punch you, Jeff Shreves, you know. I, I know. How does it feel to get relegated? Yeah. I, know. I, I mean, I, I hate the how does it feel question anyway because, it, it, you know, it's very lazy journalism. It, it's, uh, yeah, well, we'll get the shot of them being angry, hopefully. That's what they're hoping for because 99.9% of the time they get some banal thing about, yeah, it's fantastic. It's great. It's unbelievable. I'm lost for words, you know, if they're, if they're even that articulate. But, of course, um, Holloway handled that quite well because I'd have been tempted in his shoes to, to give him the give him the bird and tell him where to stick his microphone. It was brilliant to see the United fans' reaction to Ian Holloway, though, a standing ovation as he walked off down the tunnel. Very, very nice, I thought, under the circumstances. And, and it sort of looked to me a bit like he appreciated that as well. He, he gave a bit of a clap back kind of thing. And he looked almost a bit surprised, I thought. Yes, I mean, it was nice because it could have been different. Uh, although, uh, of course, I mean, the whole reaction to Blackpool is, is one bordering on patronising, isn't it? So, uh, well, not even bordering, it's full on patronising. Uh, I mean, uh, understandable. I mean, their their budget is, uh, well, it averages out at about £500,000 per man per year, something like that. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tiny, tiny little budget. Talk, talking of patronising, it's a tiny, tiny little budget. But those poor players, they, they only earn half a million pounds a year. I mean, could you cope on half a million pounds a year? I, I know I couldn't. If you'll forgive me, Ed, I have found that the fact that people have, everyone has said that people have been patronising to Blackpool, just a little bit patronising to Blackpool. Because I think that actually some people are just really impressed by the fact that Holloway has brought a smaller club up and gone for it instead of having that kind of defensive mindset that a lot of the smaller clubs have of trying not to lose. He's he's really tried to win at a, a point which clearly upset Graham Souness, given some of his comments in the pre-match build-up about how Holloway really shouldn't have thrown away all the points he's thrown away over the season. It's one of those things where they might have stayed up if they just got a few draws when they actually lost. And uh, there was some suicidal defending, it's true. But but yeah, markedly different reaction to Birmingham getting relegated to Blackpool, right? Because Birmingham are a pretty negative side and, and barely scored any goals this season and, and didn't even seem to understand that they actually had to score. Yeah, very different. And, and without sounding too patronising, it's a shame that Blackpool are relegated because they actually play some nice football and they've got some good players and... And that team, the yeah, economics mean that that team are going to break up now. And for sure that the, the players that were good enough to play in the Premier League will be moving on. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, really painful amount of people saying we should sign Charlie Adams at Manchester. No, God, no. I, I just, I, I don't even think he's nearly good enough. He, w- he wouldn't be playing for United. I mean, yes, he can hit a great dead ball. And, and it was a fine, it was a fine, fine goal that he scored. But the severe lack of pace and the fact that he just drifts in and out of games, I think there's not a chance he would uh, have a place in the United side not a chance at all I mean he would he'd be a 10 million pound reserve I mean you know fighting out with Darren Gibson for a place on the bench so I mean that's my personal opinion I just don't think uh, at all that he he should be anywhere near United. No I, I could 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 not agree more 
more. It was a pretty decent performance from United in the end. A, li- a little bit shaky. I, I, it was weird. The, the crowd really annoyed when we were losing. You could get that sense of, oh, I don't want to lose. Even though it means absolutely nothing to us whatsoever, that game. But but I guess it didn't mean anything. It didn't mean, you're, you're right, it didn't mean anything. But uh, who wants to lose? No, and the home record, I think, is a big deal as well. The fact that we've gone through the season unbeaten at home is pretty spectacular. Dropped two points there all season. The, the semi-invincibles or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. The completely and utterly invincible songs you come round our house if you want to take us on. So, and, But, of course, it was all about the lifting of the trophy, wasn't it? And and, and the old get the kids on the pitch bit at the end, which they, they did at the last day of the season. Yeah, lovely. Just lovely scenes all round. Sir Alex Ferguson has 147 grandchildren. That's the only conclusion I can draw from this. Yes. Well, he's been around a while. He has, I guess so. And his kids are obviously, you know, uh, they, they're breeding. The, the Fergusons. All of them are going to be football managers. Every single last one of them. I think it's inevitable. <laughs> maybe, maybe. The junior Ferguson, uh, Darren Ferguson, hasn't quite made it yet, has he? I mean, he's back at Peterborough, so may- maybe he'll have another shot at uh, hitting the big time. Yeah, I hope he does. It, it was interesting watching my Twitter timeline absolutely explode when the babies came on the pitch. I've never seen a more estrogen-drenched Twitter timeline in all my life. There, there, there were some very, very happy uh, people watching watching those those kids wander around the field with the United players Love, lovely celebrations all round just fantastic to see how much it means to the players you could tell they were completely and utterly over the moon to have won that championship including Ickle Mickey Owen who, who managed to squeeze in a, another performance actually I think he's got um, two starts and, and nine off the bench so yeah he, he comfortably got his medal yeah absolutely and he scored our last goal of the season it might might be his last goal and last appearance for United he's out of contract of course in the summer and, and uh, uh, who knows whether there'll be another one. It can't possibly be his last goal because he's been saying for ages he's got one big goal left in him this season and I'm not convinced that that was it. I think he might be scoring the winner in the Champions League final. That would be a nice way to go out for him, I guess. Uh, I've got a little bit of time for him in, in that he's, uh, he's albeit a former scouser. Uh, you, you temper it with the fact that he was an Everton supporter playing at Liverpool, so he's never really one of them. Only a little bit of the, the diseased variety. But... Oh, no, I don't... I, listen, that, that Let's have none of that talk, please. It's not a disease to be from Liverpool or a Liverpool player or Liverpool fan. Genetic, maybe. And mm. in, in any case, I've got a little bit of time for him, but but I, I mean, I'm not in terms of the football sense. I, I you know, he's not good enough to be in the United side anymore, and his pace is gone. And yeah, he can definitely finish, and it was a fine finish. It was, and lovely quote from him. He said he was asked by MUTV how he was feeling that, that terrible question that you referred to earlier, and he said, "Well, I've always." said in my life if you can't beat him join him <laughs> that was brilliant that was a lovely self-aware moment from my client decent performances all round from reserves nobody nobody had a particularly poor game no no it was a stronger side than than perhaps many people would have expected yeah. as well no no real kids in the side as no all. absolutely um and anders lindergaard came on for the second half it was interesting to see yes good to see him i, I it would be um, it'd be interesting maybe maybe he'll make the bench for barcelona i wouldn't have thought so i think the safe choice is probably the safe choice he's yeah, I know. In that, the experienced choice, the man who knows what it's at least like to be a United player and, and playing at some you know, reasonably big games is, is Cusack, whereas Lindegaard would be... I mean, imagine that Van der Sar goes down with an injury in the warm-up or something. That's what we're thinking about. You know, who, who would then take over? Not Thomas Cusack, though, surely. Nobody wants to see that. I'd rather... I'm 
pretty sure I'd rather you were in goal. Yeah, not, not even Cusack's mum would like to see that. But yeah, well, who, who knows? I mean, it's it's not the uh, it's not the hottest topic for Barcelona, really, is it? But it's it was one consideration, I'm sure, and I'm sure that's why Lindesgaard uh, had 45 minutes and and a few others. Um, Park Park played. I was a bit surprised to see that because he'll almost certainly start. But I think I think this is coloured a little bit by the fact that uh, Ferguson felt before the last final against Barcelona that a few people were a bit undercooked and they hadn't played for three weeks and that affected some of the team. Yeah, and, and the fact that he gave Rooney a run out in Gary Neville's testimonial, which we'll come on to, I thought was interesting and, and definitely along those lines because regardless of the emotion around Gary Neville's, you know, I think I think letting Giggs and Skulls play in it is a complete no-brainer from, from the sentimentalist side, but Rooney doesn't have that same sentimental attachment to Gary Neville. He's Obviously, they played in the same team for a long time, but, but you know, he could have played anyone up front and that would have been fine, but, but I think he genuinely wanted to give Rooney half an hour in a sort of match situation. He, he played Bebe out front and literally he could have played anyone up front. <laughs> Bebe was all right. Anyway, I'll finish off with the Blackpool game before we move on to that. Yeah, great scenes at the end. Brilliant sing-song. There's just the, It doesn't get any less brilliant winning the league, does it? It's still absolutely fantastic. I guess this one was a special one because it was 19. Lovely mosaic before the game. I think given... And, and no sign of the TBC years banner, which was a complete relief. Do you think Tufty got the message with that one? I think he must have done. Yeah, I, I almost felt sorry for him because he really did cut some massive flack, but but yeah, it got through. It I was think. the worst idea that anyone has ever, ever had about anything, and that includes all the people yes. in like those Darwin Award books for making terrible decisions that end up killing you. The worst idea yes. in human history, that TBC banner. Not a big fan, I have to say, of the 19 times ticker that, 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 that seems to be tempting fate in a dangerous way to me to put that up there i think that's okay as a just a just a holding yeah. position they've got all summer now to work out something yeah, and, better. And let's hope they do i i, I suspect they probably will because it didn't it certainly didn't look like a permanent fixture there, there is at least one retiring legend who had his uh, testimony on you know, this week and and possibly another retiring legend in paul skulls we don't know yet i mean uh, ferguson is trying to encourage him to have another year i would suspect that skulls doesn't want to so it'll be against his his will if he gets another season of the club first time in history that uh, you know, no please please don't pay me £65,000 a week please don't pay me that but yeah they may force him to well he's he's been saying please don't pay me £100,000 a week for quite a long time please only pay me £65,000 a week hasn't he yes well effectively yeah he hasn't he hasn't got an agent he could have uh, got a lot more money throughout his career uh, if Skulls had had an agent but but there you go he, he, I guess you can live on £65,000 a week you would not believe it would you seems seems far-fetched to suspect that that might be the case i don't think carlos tevez could live on sixty-five thousand pounds a week by the judging by no no but then carlos tevez has some real problems not only with loyalty but also geography because apparently buenos aires is nearer to milan than manchester I, that's not quite the way i see the world but yeah they <laughs> it's yeah. like robbie savage and wrexham and birmingham isn't it when yes. he went to Blackburn and it's further away from his family he wanted to be nearer his family the Gary Neville testimonial was there a 
dry eye in the house at the end of that montage. I was in I was in pieces by the end of the montage at the end of that game. It was an absolutely wonderful occasion. How much of it did you see? A, a fair amount, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good amount. The first half an hour with a midfield of Ryan Giggs, Nicky Butt, Paul Skulls, and David Beckham. I, I know, I, that's the bit I missed. Oh no! Oh, you just you just saw the bit where after the single worst substitution in the history of mankind, yes. <laughs> where Bebe Obertan and Gibson came on for Skulls, Giggs, and Rooney. That's a that's a pretty precipitous drop in class on the pitch right there. Just wonderful, wonderful. The crossfield ball, the I don't know, must have been 60, 70 yard crossfield ball from Beckham on one wing to Giggs on the other wing. Just one of the best things I've ever seen in my whole life. Yes, there was a fair amount of showboating from Beckham going on, but that's perfectly fair enough. That's what testimonials for. Well, nobody showboated quite as much as at Fizzer 18, Phil Neville's beautiful stepovers on the edge of the box. Uh, fabulous scenes. Uh, and, and the slightly disconcerting sight of David Beckham taking easily the best corner that anyone in a Manchester United shirt has taken for two seasons. Yes, well, quite, yeah. yeah, And, and repeatedly, and, and a couple of good attempts at a, a free kick as well, although definitely not the best free kick of the night, Beckham, right? So, Gian Donato, stunning golf for Juventus late on. Ridiculous, and what was great about it was like he had a little bit of a chat with Beckham afterwards and you could see Beckham was like, oh, fair play, mate, you know, and he, he was clearly quite pleased to be praised for a free kick with Beck by Beckham. And I'm, I'm, I don't speak Italian, but I, I'm fairly confident he said, yeah, even you couldn't have done that, could you? Or something along those lines. Something along those lines. A lovely, lovely uh, set of photos came out, of course. The famous Class of 92 photo where Eric Harrison is with uh, Giggs and Skulls and the Nevilles and Beckham and Butt. And then they replicated it this time with Alex Ferguson in the in the dressing room before. Yeah, a, a really, really, really lovely photo. And just, just genuinely very moving photo because they're all still friends and they've all had these remarkable careers like you know you look at that photo and you think god the lives those boys went on to have you know the career the, the amount of their promise that they ended up fulfilling is absolutely spectacular well except for terry cook who's on the end who's cut out of almost all the photos so he didn't didn't quite have the same career but you know that's just his brush well, lad, it's, a bit, it's a bit stalinist isn't it the way he doesn't appear in any of those photos they should have they should have got him into the dressing room to join in that photo at the end he was a prodigious player at youth level he actually played in uh, a whole bunch of youth sides uh, for united i think he played for england youth and he you know i think everyone thought he would be a really good player and didn't quite work out i think last he ended up playing in canada or something awful like that or in, in the mls or something dreadful but but there you go and I, b- I believe this week you had a chat to man united youth perhaps the the best correspondent of united youth and reserve football there is yeah absolutely uh, nick was kind enough to join us and we had a little discussion of how the class of 2011 might be the best since that class of 92. Right, so we're absolutely delighted to be joined by Nick from Man United Youth, or as he is known to millions of loyal Twitter followers all around the world, at Man United Youth. Nick, how are you doing? I'm very well. An exciting week for the youth team. Yeah, definitely. It's like a week for the whole club, but the youth team as well, just capping things off nicely after Sunday. It was a pretty brilliant performance. I, I haven't watched a huge amount of youth team football this season, but every time I've seen them, I've been 
super impressed. How does this uh, team stack up as a regular watcher of the youth team? I'd say it's the best I've seen since I've been following them, which is going on about 10 years or so. But I mean, people who've been watching them a lot longer than I have say it's the best since the famous Beckham, Giggs, Neville sort of crop. So that's pretty high praise. Yeah, absolutely. How, how did you start watching and following youth team football so closely? I think it was just a case of when I, I, sort of, I was brought up down south, so I used to come up to games every so often, not as often as I like to. But then I moved to Manchester to come to uni and then I just sort of, it just seemed like a natural thing to do. Right, I'm in Manchester, let's go and watch the reserves down in Altrim every Thursday when there's nothing else to do. And it just sort of built from there. How long ago did you start sort of writing about them? It's about two years now, maybe, no, I'm getting on towards three years now, I think three years this month. But just sort of my friend who follows another club who we won't mention did something similar and sort of inspired me to give it a go because I always like writing about football. So it just seemed like the next step to do. I, I think it's like really, I know I certainly really value your stuff, uh, especially your, your Twitter feed. It's a fantastic source of information and and I have to say it kind of got me interested in the youth team because of the absolute standout players that we've we've got these these are names that I suspect that many of our listeners will have heard well not least because we we have had some few conversations about them Ravel Morrison Ryan Tunnicliffe Paul Pogba but um, those are I think it's fair to say the absolute stars of this team aren't they yeah they're definitely the big three they're the three who've sort of just about been on the fringes of the first team this season but there's a few others there who've got a decent chance and who've arguably probably been more consistently more consistent stars this season for the team but they've maybe not quite got the same potential so so who are some of the players that perhaps we've not paid enough attention to probably the one that stands out to me is Tom Thorpe who's the captain centre-back obviously centre-backs they don't tend to get the praise that the goal scorers and the creators do but he was nominated for academy player of the season and I think he was quite unlucky not to win that he's just been he's a solid seven out eight out of ten every every match and he reads the game ridiculously well for someone of his age really whether he'll actually make it to centre-half because he's probably lacks a bit of height and maybe a bit of pace but he's been fantastic this season and you've got Will Keane apart from that um, as well as who's got I think eight goals in the East Cup this season which is 23 for the team in total this season and he's been he's missed a good few months of injury as well so that's pretty impressive every time I see United he just seems to sort of keep scoring he's just got that just that striker's brain or something I haven't seen him score like a spectacular goal particularly but but he just seems to be in the right place at the right time a lot no he's got that sort of Solskjaer-esque temperament when he's in the box if a chance falls to him he's generally going to take it so you mentioned the word temperament there guess what I'm going to ask you about next <laughs> um, Morrison just looks unbelievably gifted but clearly a, a very very troubled lad yeah. some more stuff going on today where he's actually he's actually just been just avoided jail hasn't he yeah just got fined for criminal damage I think it was the assault charge got dropped so which is encouraging but I don't know, he's always you never sort of know what's going to come next to him you think he's on the right track and then something else crops up so you'd like to think this would be another wake up call for him but who knows um, his tweet the other day about the award ceremony oh I know he's his own worst enemy at times it just I mean I think it was people blew it out of proportion as tends to happen on Twitter but just I can't see why you type that just what goes through his head sometimes I don't know It's I think it's really difficult I think it's one of those things where it's really easy for people on the outside to look in and say sort your head out lad oh definitely yeah Especially a word that I hear getting bandied about a lot is the word stupid. You know, he's been stupid to do these things. And I kind of I kind of understand people calling him stupid because it's clearly not the brightest move. But really, I don't think it's got anything to do with stupidity. These are the kind of behaviours of a person with somewhat serious behavioural difficulties. It's Exactly, yeah. He's not like sitting there thinking, oh, I know what's a good idea. I'll mess up this incredible chance. Like you say, it's born out of... Obviously, there's some serious issues there. It's come from his upbringing 
suffering in his background and I think it's very easy for people like just to judge who are from very different situations who can't really appreciate it I mean it's no excuse just to say obviously he can do this and that because he's had a tough life so far but obviously it's very difficult to put yourself in his shoes and know exactly what's going on there the only really the coaches at the club know exactly what's going on and there there was a progress report read out in court from the coaches at the club I guess you know the the cynic in me on behalf of Ed who is not in on this interview <laughs> um, would suggest that of course the club want to do everything they can to keep him out of jail but I, I suspect if he was if he was really wayward in training that would maybe be too much for the club to bear because they know if they want to get value out of him in the long term he's actually going to have to make the first team or become a saleable asset in some way yeah I mean the statement obviously it was probably decorated and dressed up a bit for the court but it does sort of tally in with a lot of what I've heard that he is I mean not necessarily on the right track totally but definitely improving from the situation he was in maybe a year 18 months ago where I mean I've heard lots of talk that back then he was very close to being released so obviously the club are willing to stick by him because of his talent and but I think like you say there is only so much they could put up with so he has to be sort of hopefully getting getting his life together and um, you've you've seen a lot of him do you, do you, what's your instinct about it? Uh, what's what I'd say to everyone who asked me really if he gets his head right he's a superstar he's going to be a superstar he's just he's an incredible talent he's, he's the best I've ever seen since I've been watching him I'd say he's the best that's come through the academy since Skulls probably just in terms of natural ability he's fantastic to watch everyone who watches him seems to get blown away by him I mean the last couple of games obviously there's been lots of coverage of him and just seeing everyone on Twitter just going mad about him has been sort of quite illuminating Out of those big three then then who's your sort of who's your favourite of them? Oh, I think just in terms of I wouldn't say he's necessarily the best but Tonicliff's probably my favourite Ryan Tonicliff just it's like I always say he's the sort of player that you can't help but root for just with his attitude the way he plays the game just he's absolutely wholehearted 100% commitment throws himself into 50-50s or 2080s that he has no right to win in and does win him um, he's just a fantastic player to watch and he's just from uh, I spoke to him briefly after a couple of games and he seems like a great kid as well sort of the sort of person you really want to make it he's definitely got a touch of the Roy Keynes about him hasn't he yeah definitely definitely the early Roy Keane the same sort of drive the same sort of a similar sort of, sort of attitude towards like, his teammates in the lead obviously Keane was a bit of a one-off in terms of just how intense he was but Tonicliffe's got that same sort of the way he G's people up and drives them on so over the years have there been players who you thought were going to make it into the Man United first team that haven't oh no not this question uh, I'm going to get Sorry. hammered for this always the one that always comes up for me is David Jones I thought he was the best thing since sliced bread when he was with the club and he was a guarantee to make it in hindsight I can see obviously why he didn't but I thought he was a fantastic talent when he was with the reserves and it's sort of every time he doesn't make the Wolves team I get people pointing that out to me now and so I don't think I'll ever live that one down I guess uh, Giuseppe Rossi's probably the other one although I think that was more for reasons where obviously he wanted to move on and get football and he's obviously not doing too badly for himself now being linked with Barca this summer so yeah I mean Rossi's a bit of an exception isn't he because he's yeah. he's clearly going to go on to make it in football in general L- listen you, you can't feel too bad about that David Jones thing because in about 2003 I'm fairly confident that Ed published a piece on the internet saying that Paul Le Guin should replace Sir Alex Ferguson as manager of Manchester United so. uh, um, yeah I think I might have thrown my weight behind his candidacy as well so I should probably not chip in on that one really it's it's easy with hindsight you know it's easy with hindsight to say like that Rob Smythe article that does the rounds all the time oh it's brilliant it's now yeah. it is but I, I kind of you know I, I kind of see why he made all those points at the time they all felt very legitimate definitely yeah. I mean you can read it now it's very easy to take the mick out of what he said but lots of people were expressing similar sentiments sort of it maybe in different words but at the same summer there was a lot of discontent so and fair play to him he's took it very well since then I think he put published a pretty grovelling apology the year afterwards and he, he's very quick to take the mick out of himself for it now so fair play that's what we like to hear we've talked a little bit about Tannicliffe a little bit about Morrison Paul Pogba he just he's got he has my very favourite dribbling style which 
which this is probably like a terrible discredit to many of the people that dribble like this but to me it's like a uh, Paolo one chop yeah I had a feeling that was one you're going to say it is very similar yeah he, he just there's hundreds of players around him and somehow he comes out with the ball yeah at times you wonder sort of if he knows what he's doing but it comes off maybe sort of no one else knows what he's doing so it, it works that way but he's a he's a fantastic player. I think he's possibly the one that if I had to put money on one of these kids making it it would be him just for his all round game I think he's maybe he's maybe not quite as developed as Tunnicliffe and maybe Morrison as well at this stage but just he's a, he's a terrific talent and someone who's great to watch I think he gets unfairly pigeonholed as the new Vieira which is very very easy to say but he's got a hell of a lot more to his game well it's a bit harsh to say he's got a hell of a lot more to his game than someone like Patrick Vieira who did so well in the game but he's a lot more rounded player I think yeah he's, he's kind of a much more exciting player I think than Patrick Vieira definitely a much more of a creative player than sort of the just, it's hard to you can't really say Vieira was just a defensive midfielder but he definitely hasn't got the flair that Pogba's got so how long have these, this group of kids been together now I think seven of the eleven that started on Monday night have been with the club since they were nine or ten so we're talking getting on towards a decade now obviously Pogba came in two years ago Van Veltsen a year ago and Fornasio two years ago oh Sean McGinty came in two years ago as well from Charlton but yeah I mean there's people are very quick to dismiss I mean I saw the report on the Sheffield United website about this game and it was the first thing they said was a expensively assembled Manchester United team and it's very easy to dismiss us as sort of team who pluck the very best from around the world just because those ones get publicity but there's a very strong homegrown element in there even if we I guess do pluck some of the better players from around the world it completely makes sense in world football that that would happen doesn't it yeah I mean you have to do it some of it it's a bit unsavoury all the poaching talk but it's sort of born out of the ridiculous rules the FA put in the 90 minute rule you've got so many teams in the northwest competing for players that unless you just want to sort of take on players who patently aren't good enough you have to look elsewhere really and it's like Brian Clare said it's easier to take on a kid from somewhere like Spain than it is from Stockport just because you've got I mean I think he said it was at something like Barcelona instead of Basingstoke because of the 90 minute rule but I mean it's just you have to adapt to that and I think they've done that pretty well with the likes of Pogba the scouting network's clearly doing well at the minute I don't know if you'll you'll necessarily be able to answer this question but what kind of lifestyle are these kids having the kids at, at that level in who make up the bulk of that youth team that youth youth cup winning side how, how much time do they spend at the club versus in quotes sort of a normal existence I think and they're pretty much all full time I mean obviously full time for a footballer is a lot different to full time for the rest of us but I think they train most mornings I know lots of them still do they've still got schooling that they do sort of in the afternoons a few afternoons a week I know from seeing some of them on Twitter they're, I think they've just broken up for the summer now as well as finishing the football they think they're done with school for the summer but I think it's a pretty a pretty good lifestyle for a sort of a kid of 17, 18 obviously they have to sacrifice not going out on the lash every weekend but and lots, quite a few of them are on pretty decent money already and it's not a bad life is it? No absolutely not and they get to play for Manchester United in exactly yeah. uh, you know in, in the case, it was a marvellous occasion I thought the FA Youth Cup final both legs the, the fact that Sheffield United were able to break their attendance record for the season with a Youth Cup game. It sort of speaks volumes about the state of their club, but it was amazing to see. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was an amazing atmosphere at Bramwell Lane. Just, was, I mean, Old Trafford was good on Monday, but Bramwell Lane, it was just, it was very similar in the away end to a proper away game, just with the support from their fans, the support from our fans. And then Old Trafford on Monday, how, do you know how many people were there? I think they announced it as 24,900 and something, so not far off 25,000. Not bad. I mean, I'd like to think they could have done a bit more to sort of get kids in. I'm Sheffield United gave away a lot of tickets free to schools, local schools, and I don't think United did anything like that, which is a shame, because with City becoming a bit more of a threat, then you'd like to think that we'd be doing more to attract the next generation our way rather than theirs, because I know they do a lot, and I was hoping maybe we'd get sort of 30, 35,000, but 25,000 for a Youth Cup game, you can't really quibble too much. What was the, what was the key in that game? Because obviously it was, it was pretty tight at Sheffield United. We were extremely lucky to get a draw, given the nature of our open 
winning in inverted commas goal. That that was one of one of the most extraordinarily bad decisions I've ever seen. Well, I guess it's one of those ones where you never know if he'd have, if I thought it was a handball, so if he'd have been sent off and a penalty, ultimately who knows they it might have sort of benefited more from conceding the goal rather than going down to ten men, especially because it it's one of their best defenders as well. And then but then we sort of completely bossed the game, I thought at Old Trafford. It, it was somewhat one sided and they definitely had spells and much like the first team, when we conceded a goal you could see a some somewhat of a wave of panic go through the side briefly until until we scored the the goal that sort of settled the game but but what do you think was the the real difference on the day uh, i thought it was quite a scrappy start from both teams and i think i was just literally tweeting from the ground this is a bit of a scrappy start when the first goal went in but i think after that it settled the nerves sheffield united players i think they were a little bit nervy on the day i think with such a big stadium and it was a lot bigger pitch i think it is than bramley maybe it just looked that way but i think it is quite a bigger pitch and then just the class sort of told i mean sheffield united have got quite a lot of players who have played for their first team this season so obviously they're not sort of they are used to playing in front of decent crowds but I think that was Old Trafford was a bit of a different step and when the goal went in United settled down came on strong and they could have scored a lot more goals than they did in the end So talking of United settling down and coming on strong you think we're going to win the Champions League? Oh I think I change my mind on this every day I, I think I can't really come up with any legitimate reason why we will but I've just got a hunch that we might just pinch it penalties as well I can't help thinking just which would be torture again after 2008 but any way we can win it I'll take If Leo Messi falls over while he's trying to take a penalty I might never get over it I, I feel exactly the same way I can't come up with a single good reason why we're supposed to win the game but I, I just I just think it's going to happen it's all reverse I think in 2009 people were quite naive about how good Barca were back then and think we were favourites and I think this year it's completely the other way around back then I was sort of worried that we were favourites but I thought I had this sort of unshakable feeling that we'd lose so this year it's sort of like we're the underdogs but I think we might just pinch it, it it's certainly exciting times what what have you made of the first team season as a whole lots of debate going on about how good this side is we've repeatedly pointed out terrible performances all season long uh, but with it with a few notable stellar exceptions what, what do you make of the first team's relative strengths at the moment I think sort of people are sometimes they can't find the middle ground we've been dismissed as like the worst team to have won the league but I think other people go a bit too far saying look we've won the league we can't be this bad we're definitely not as good as say the 2008 or even the 2009 team but there's some great qualities in the team you look at the comebacks we produced this season you look at what Sir Alex has got out of some players who you think might not be good enough or some areas of the team specifically the midfield which might not be good enough and it's been a thrilling season really I mean some of the away games you've sort of wanted to watch through your fingers because they've been so horrible but it's sort of added into the excitement overall and anytime you win a league title you can't complain no absolutely and and there's a sort of increasing youth component in a way in in that first team notably the De Silva brothers are, are you surprised to see how quickly they've developed or were you expecting it in a way I've been surprised how slowly Fabio's developed or not not so slowly I was developed but how long it's taken him to make that breakthrough because he, he was touted as the high, most highest rated twin when they came in and obviously he's pretty much been made a glass for his first two years and was injured every other week or something but it's been great to see him this season really establish himself and I think hopefully he'll start on Saturday and I think he'll deserve to and he might it might well be that he ends up being the long-term right back after Raphael getting the first two weeks but they're fantastic players to watch just you can't help but smile watching them play football it's brilliant absolutely well thank you very much for doing this and we'll definitely check back in with you next season to keep an eye on those young lads and if you do bump into Ravel tell him you know we're rooting for him yeah well, hopefully just probably best not to talk to him on Twitter now absolutely just before we finish 
finish actually do you think it can't last can it they're gonna they're gonna stop the youth team tweeting i would imagine yeah i heard um before the weekend from someone who knows someone in the club that they had they'd had a meeting after the morrison incident and they've been told not to but people have just been popping up every now and then over the last few days so i'm not sure how strictly it's been enforced but can't help wondering i mean i thought wednesday might have been it but there's going to be a moment where the club say right that's it just something's going to happen well thank you very much for doing this and and as i said we'll definitely check back in with you next season absolute pleasure all right thanks nick Great stuff. Well, uh, let's hope that's true and, and United are going to win. I, I have to say there's not much of the head that says United are going to take this one. I mean, I, all week everyone's been talking about it at work and obviously I've been trying to stick some screenings on for various people. So I've been talking to people about it you know, constantly and, and there's a little tactical thing up here that says, well, there are ways you can beat Barcelona. They're not unbeatable. But then, then there's on the other side, the logical side of the brain going, nah, this is the best side in history uh, United the massive underdogs and let's hope we just don't get humiliated yeah I mean I, I I don't know what to say about this game I should say first of all we're going to be watching the game at a Weatherspoons in northwest London in Finchley I believe that it's completely sold out so I'm really sorry about anyone that wanted to come out and, and kind of watch the game with us but we will definitely organise some kind of rank cast meetup specifically in the future I've been helping must out I'm not a regular must helper but uh, I volunteered my time to try and help them out with some screenings and there are a lot of United fans tickets no tickets hoping to get in on the jib or or sneak in or or bribe their way in or just feel the need to be in London for the day for the big event and uh, fair fair enough and there are going to be thousands of Reds taking over London hopefully at the end of the night there won't be thousands of disappointed Reds I'm not going to give an actual prediction for the score of this game. I thought about it earlier and I thought, no, I'm I'm not going to do that because I think we're going to win, but I have no reason for that. I have no reason to suspect it. It's a complete heart versus head situation. And I read Sidlow's article on on the Guardian, on the Guardian website about Pep Guardiola and I just thought, wow, you know, Pep Guardiola is an excellent manager with easily the most talented collection of players in the world at his disposal. But Manchester United on their day are absolutely absolutely brilliant we've been absolutely brilliant a few times this season and Sir Alex Ferguson is a better manager than Pep Guardiola however good Guardiola is I'm not saying that he's going to like tactically outclass him or whatever I I can't put it down to anything more than I have got a feeling about this one and it's ridiculous don't don't set any store by that because it's completely meaningless I've had feelings that we were going to lose and we've won and feelings that we were going to win and we've lost but I can just see some crazy Manchester United-esque scenario with swings and last minute goals and tears and all that kind of nonsense or even god forbid a penalty shootout please no i don't know if i can take it yeah uh, let's hope it doesn't come to that let's hope united score in the first minute and it's just you know we coast home but clearly it's not it's not going to be like that i think there are a couple of a couple of key things and i i did have a little little write on the website this week about this i think i think united cannot win by playing five in midfield and just hoping to wade it out and hoping we'll get the ball to Rooney because what will happen exactly what happened in 2009 where on that occasion it was Ronaldo on this occasion Rooney if 
if we did say bring Fletcher into midfield and play Rooney up top on his own there would be 40 yards at least between Rooney and everyone else because United would be pushed back and pushed back and pushed back and would be defending 5 and 4 and hoping to squeeze the space and just hoping that Barcelona don't break us down somehow um, because of course you know they, they do break teams shape apart because they shift the ball uh, so quickly and, and the most you know the important thing is when they lose the ball they press so quickly to get it back so I'm not sure that United can win like that I do think they can win by playing much higher up the pitch than they did in Rome by making sure Rooney's the key guy here because he'll be 20 yards deeper than Hernandez who's another key guy if Rooney stops Busquets getting the ball and Hernandez stops Gerard Piquet or, or Rooney pushes on or both getting the ball those are the two guys who start Barcelona's play constantly they get Busquets often gets more possession than Xavi and Iniesta and that's really important United do have to press and I do think that's what they're going to do because if you saw in the, the Blackpool game United pressed Blackpool constantly and I, I was looking at it I was going this is really really isn't necessary I mean you know we just don't, we just don't need to do this but it was clearly a practice uh, I think in some way <laughs> what and and what and what better sparring partner ahead a game ahead of a game against Barcelona than Blackpool well this is what you do you know if you're a heavyweight and you're going into a big heavy yeah you of course only it's a southpaw you're fighting sorry and it's a bit different than normal and Barcelona is very different than normal of course you fight a bunch of southpaws but you're going to fight a bunch of southpaw bums so you can knock them over and feel better about yourself so yeah it's so exciting at the risk of sounding like a giddy school child I'm ridiculously excited about this game what kind of crazed lunatic who likes football wouldn't be excited about a Manchester United and Barcelona final we've definitely been the two best teams in Europe this season I, I would say uh, even 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 though we've obviously had extended periods where we were far from the best team in Europe on our day we, we've been right right up there and all the Barcelona players and Guardiola have clearly been quite well drilled by their media team to come out and say that we're not massive favourites for this game United are always a threat they've got brilliant players but they they mean it as well because United because they'd be you'd be crazy to take Manchester United for granted it's like writing off the Germans in a World Cup as we joked about repeatedly during the World Cup rankcasts last year you cannot write off Manchester United it, they're, they're almost three to one against with the bookies, Manchester United, which which I I I think seems like long odds to me. I, I think if we play this game three times, United are going to win more than one. But you know, let's just hope that if even if those are the odds, this is this is the game that that we win. Yeah. Well, look, Bar- Barcelona are beatable. They, they of course they lost at Arsenal. They were in within a Nicholas Bentner toe poke of going out of this competition. So they are beatable. And I just think United do have to get this right. And everyone has to be on their game and we have to get it tactically right and and uh, I, I think I, I just I honestly believe that if we play a very negative formation uh, we've lost from the opening whistle so no I mean I, I could not agree with you more and I, I, I'm pretty sure our our team lineup at this point are going to be remarkably similar I'll, I'll be surprised so I, w- I would go with Van der Sar, Fabio, Vidic, Ferdinand, Evra that, that's not really in question, Park, Giggs, Carrick, Valencia, Rooney and Hernandez. Yeah, yeah. It's same, same for me. I think the only real question there is is at the right back is is it Raphael or is it Fabio? I mean Fabio's the man in form. He's kind of in possession of the shirt, right? So and and there's there's very little difference <laughs> between them. I don't mean that in a <laughs> physical sense. Uh, you know, there's slight stylistic differences, but in the overall quality, it, there's not a load of difference. And so I don't think it we would be weaker with one or the other. Fabio gives us some real 
attacking threat. Now, Rafael, you know, maybe a little bit more, more mature, but having said that, Fabio has made almost none of the same mistakes that, that Rafael did in his uh, opening couple of seasons with United. And, and seriously, there's a decent chance they'll have 45 minutes each because Fabio will get himself injured at some point in the first half. Maybe he seems to have grown out of that. You know, or maybe they'll just swap, swap him at half maybe, time. Maybe, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's still coming. Yeah, do the, the, the classic secret shirt swap. Mm, who's going to know? Or, or perhaps Fergie will just do a Fergie and, and John O'Shea will play. I mean, I, I, I genuinely think there's a pretty good chance that that will happen. I, I don't think that would be a big surprise at all. Yeah, but I, I, I rather I rather think that United got... If, if there's a massive weakness in Barcelona's side, it's going to be at left-back where, where Puyol will probably start and Abidal isn't quite fit, so that would be a risk to play him. Adriano's, I don't think, of the same kind of quality as uh, Abidal when fit and, and Maxwell, I think, is even worse than Adriano. So I, I think they'll probably play Puyol there. Mascherano will probably play in the middle. They'll probably figure that United... It's not as if United is going to start hitting long balls and trying to take advantage of Mascherano's lack of height or anything like that. So that's probably a safe choice for them. But it does mean that Valencia really has a chance, especially if we get two-on-one up there and, and Fabio will probably give us that by bombing forward and John O'Shea wouldn't do it in quite the same way. No, and you know, in our one of our great strengths, uh, there was a picture of Vidic, Ferdinand and Van der Sar with the trophy uh, after the celebrations against Blackpool. I was just looking at that thinking there really are only a, hit, a handful of goalkeeping centre-back partnerships of that quality anywhere in the world. I mean, not just now, but sort of ever. They're, they really are right up there in the upper echelons of greatest central three of a defence ever. You know, I mean, I'm not saying they're literally the best ever, but but they are right, right up there. I mean, Cannavaro, Nesta and Buffon, that's that's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? Then And, you know, going back further in time, there's, there's obviously been wonderful combinations. But that is a, a back four, a back five, if you include Van der Sar, that really knows what it's doing. Of course, the problem is you're then playing against David Villa, Messi, Xavi Iniesta bombing through. I guess Pedro will play. You know, there's there's a huge amount of attacking talent in the Barcelona side and they're not going to attack in the way that Vidic and Ferdinand are absolutely best against, which is teams that like to get crosses into the box because it's just, you know, they're just absolutely imperious against that kind of attack. So this this is going to be a very different sort of game. No, it's very, very different. And, and the risk is, of course, that, that Vidic and Ferdinand get caught on the turn because that's that's the exact scenario they'll be faced with. Uh, you know, players running from deep, you know, the third man, as it, people like to call it these days, and, and uh, or anyone, both from the flanks. And, of course, Messi will drop uh, in the Jonathan Wilson's famed, you know, false nine position. He will drop very deep from central position. Someone will have to follow him. So, you know, whether it's Carrick or whether it's Ferdinand, there will be space changing. And that's what Barcelona do. They move teams around so much. And, and there is a risk there. Um, as good as Ferdinand and Vidic are, there is a risk that they get caught trying to turn. I mean, of course it's a risk. And it's bound to happen on the day. But there's a few things. That, that would happen to any defensive team against, you know, any defensive unit against Barcelona's attack is going to get turned. That, that happens. But Carrick, Ferdinand and Vidic are very good at covering for each other's spaces. And Van der Sar is better than anyone in the world at covering up when it happens, when we get beaten in those situations. He's, he's got us out of trouble so many times this season, which is not to say that Barcelona are not going to score, because obviously they've got every chance. You know, there's every justification for saying that Barcelona will win this game somewhat comfortably. I mean, not, it'd be very unlikely that we'd get battered, but, you know, they, they've got they've got a hell of a lot in their locker. But I just I just think we're going to get all Man United on them. That's, that's what I really do. I really think we're, we're going to conjure it up from somewhere, that combination of will to win and the 
stage and the emotion and all that kind of stuff. We're, we're just brilliant with all that going on around us, I think. Yes, well, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is an answer to a question that we've been asked by at Spook Luke, who asks, are we doomed? I, I don't think we're doomed. If Assuming you mean the Champions League final, I think we, we do have a shot, albeit we're, we're definitely not favourites. Yes, you should have asked that last week before before the rapture didn't happen, right? So, <laughs> Very good point. And, and the broader picture, there's been a lot of talk about transfer funding and the Glazers, and I, I think we, we may be doomed in the long run, uh, but but I don't think we're doomed because of this. Uh, one one really uh, good question that I enjoyed from at Happy Hero, uh, if you could pick the half-time entertainment for the Champions League final, what or whom would you choose? Well, I think some you know rousing Manchester band, the, the Roses or something like that, right? And get everyone up for it. I, I, I just I hadn't really thought about an answer to that question, but you're right, it's the Stone Roses. Uh, Ian Brown, terribly and unjustifiably talked over by uh, Dwight York at the uh, Gary Neville testimonial. That was a real shame. But yeah, the Stone Roses, what fantastic halftime entertainment that would be. Either that or that dude from the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics with his rocket pack. That, that'd be pretty cool. Or Jedward. No, no. Not even for fun. You know, that's can't even say that for, for, for a joke. Good, in, good enough for President Obama. Yeah. No, no, not good enough for President Obama. A terrible diplomatic disgrace that they performed in front of President Obama. I'd like to give a massive shout out to a couple of people who've been getting involved on the Facebook page. Uh, Ira Pogerson and all the way from Canada, Cliff Getter. That He's all the way from Canada. And all the way from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, lifelong Manchester United fan, born and bred in Manchester, Cliff Gettings. Uh, glad that we're keeping you entertained all the way out there in Malaysia and trying to hopefully keep you close to the action. And, and we're going to be as close to the action as we can. Still not impossible that an eccentric millionaire will listen to this and get in touch with us at UTD Rantcast and at United Rant on Twitter. It seems unlikely, to be fair. We, we could try and do our way in, though. I mean, you know, do you fancy rush the gates? No, I really don't. I, I can't think of anything worse. I'd be terrified. I'm rubbish in that kind of situation. I'm a law-abiding citizen, you know. I like to do things right. Well, there it is. It's the spoons for us. And ho- wherever you're watching, I hope you have a good time as well. Of course, that's all predicated on United winning, because otherwise it'll be a terrible time, no matter what venue you're in. You know, at Wembley, some dodgy nightclub that I've got absolutely nothing to do in London with. Uh, or up in Manchester, one of the many screenings happening up there, or wherever you are at home. I know this is not a popular view, but this this one to me has got a bit of a win or lose feel to it. I'm I'm happy. I'm happy we got to the Champions League final. We could win or we could lose. Yeah, well done. No, but you know what I mean. I, I'll be all right if we lose. It's so long as we give a decent account of ourselves. So long as we don't. I'm not going to be depressed. Well, I do strive in my life not to be depressed because of the result of people kicking a ball around uh, effectively or ineffectively because it, it seems to me not a terribly good way to approach things. But I, I'm certainly not going to be depressed about this one if we if we lose to you know one of the best teams in human history uh, the fact that we've won the title for the 19th time this really really does feel like just a bonus you know it would be amazing it would be unbelievable if we win but I'm not going to be that devastated if we lose I will I will I'll be devastated if we lose I mean I went into the last one actually genuinely feeling that we were going to win and and this time out I don't but still it will be it will be gutting but hey look we'll see it's only a, a couple of days away it will be what it will be and and I guess we'll be back next week with a review of the game and we'll do our uh, end of season awards and round up of the season that kind of thing won't we me and Ed are going to be getting together this weekend and we'll record a load of stuff pre and post match and then 
and then do a proper recording session as well next week for our last episode of the season but for this penultimate episode I'd like to thank very much everyone for listening everyone that's fired in Twitter questions and Facebook questions and emailed us appreciation and written reviews on the iTunes store super super nice of you thank you very much indeed and and uh, an extra special thanks to Nick at Man United Youth I'm sure you're already if you use Twitter you're already following him um, if you don't use Twitter you should basically get a Twitter account just to follow him because really interesting stuff and, and and very interesting times for the, the youth team but of course the most interesting times are, of all at the moment are for the senior team and, and I can't wait to see you I'm, I'm really looking forward to hooking up and watching us win the Champions League we will be going mental in the Weatherspoons. not exactly the sexiest venue ever but but whatever but, okay Sarah Sarah whatever will be will be we're going to Weatherspoons with MUFC 